Jerry Bridges once said, if we want proof of God's love for us, then we must look first at the cross where God offered up his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Calvary is the one objective, absolute, irrefutable proof of God's love for us. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. The title of my message this morning is Calvary, God's Love Displayed. So let's read this passage beginning in verse 32. Matthew writes, As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Let's pray. Father, it is with a grateful heart that we can come here today. We're thankful for your word. We're, we're thankful that you sent your beloved son to this earth to die for sinful men. We're thankful that because of Calvary, the wrath that was intended for us was placed on Jesus. And because of that, we, those who of us in this room who have been born again are no longer under wrath, but now have been justified by grace through faith and adopted as sons and daughters. Thank you, O Lord. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for the gift of repentance. Thank you for redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Calvary, God's love displayed. The first point of my sermon is the crucified king. The crucified king. Let's look at verse 32. Verse 32 states, They went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. It was the custom of Rome to have the prisoner who was being led to death carry his own cross. And here we're seeing that Jesus was too weak to carry his own cross. Think about it. <clears throat> he had been severely beaten and whipped. He had an incredible bout of blood loss at this time. He had a crown of thorns shoved on his head. The physical trauma that he had already endured was enough to kill anyone. 
And now he has to carry this cross to the place of his death. His exposed back, having to carry the weight of a cross. I mean, you think about the whipping that he went through, the scourging, where these 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 cat of nine tails, if you will, had had glass at the end of them and rocks at the end of them, and every time he'd get whipped, flesh would just rip off of his back, and now he's got to carry this cross on his back up a hill. And and he's very weak. His human body is very weak and distressed. And so the Roman guards tell Simon to bear this cross for him. And it's suggested by Mark's account, since Mark mentions Simon's son's names, that Simon and his sons later came to faith in Christ. Which is so exciting. It's interesting to reflect on God's providential hand in Simon's life at this time. Whatever Simon was doing at that moment, God interrupted it and caused for his path to cross that of Jesus as he walked to Golgotha. And we don't know exactly when it was that Simon was converted, but it could have been then and there when he saw Jesus face to face. But I just think it's awesome how God's providential hand was at work there. Matthew continues to write in verse 33, and when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And so outside the city, as an outcast of both Israel and Rome, on a hill, Jesus comes to his place of execution. And before the Roman soldiers nail him to the cross, they offer the God-man a bitter drink. Mark refers to this drink as myrrh, which was not offered as an act of goodwill. We have to remember the Romans were not kind people. They were barbaric. And so it would seem that this drink was offered to stupefy stupefy the victim to keep him from struggling violently as nails are being violently thrust through his hands and feet. But Jesus knew his mission. He did not want his senses dulled and willfully refused to partake in this drink. He was determined to drink of one cup And that was the wrath the Father had given him so that you and I here today in this room could have relationship with the Father. He knew he had to endure the full measure of the pain, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual pain, the full brunt of God's righteous wrath, hatred towards sin, which Christ was bearing on his body. And Matthew writes in verse 35, and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Hands or wrists impaled with nails, feet impaled with nails, the cross 
lifted vertically and then thrust into the ground to be secured and his body jolts. The suffering servant is lifted up for the world to see. Look on him there, guilty sinner, his bleeding and dying for thee. Not only is he unjustly suffering at the hands of wicked men, but he endured that affliction for the sake of those responsible for it, which includes you, which includes me. Every single and fallen human being in this room. And as the iniquity of us all as Roman soldiers cast lots for his garments. This is a fulfillment of Psalm 22, verse 18. The psalmist writes, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. The soldiers, not having any idea, are now a part of the fulfillment of what was prophesied years upon years earlier. The soldiers had already stripped Jesus temporarily when they had their fun mocking him earlier. And so now in front of the God-man, they vie for his sandals, his belt, his inner and outer garments. Now, according to historians, the crucifixion was not only barbaric, but humiliating for the criminal. In most cases, men were stripped of every item of clothing and executed naked. This was to make the criminal feel humiliated and disgraced while the world watched. There's nothing more humiliating than being forced to be naked in front of strangers. Eighteen years ago, when I entered the Lynchburg City Jail to serve my sentence for preaching the gospel, one of the first things I was forced to do was to strip. And I remember that day so clearly. The guard ordered me to take off all of my clothes and the room was cold. I was so cold and I stood there naked before strangers. Everything was stripped from me. They had taken my Bible. My clothes now were taken away from me and any sense of dignity that I had was taken. I felt like I was in the valley of humiliation. I had nothing. And the whispers started in my ear at that moment of weakness. Where is God now, John? God has forgotten you. He's left you alone to fend for yourself. The temptations began to intensify and the whispers began to get louder and louder. Your Bible is gone and now you stand naked in front of complete strangers. You are alone. Your friends have forsaken you. Your God has forsaken you. And my temptations began to shift to doubting the gospel, the whispers. How do you know the gospel that you preach is even real? Is Jesus really God? If he's really God, why would he leave you alone like this, naked, embarrassed? And those whispers were agonizing to me. And I just cried out, Jesus, help me. 
That's the only thing I knew to do in the moment. Jesus, help me. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit brought to my recollection Deuteronomy chapter 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave and he will never forsake you. And in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. All the doubting was gone. The temptations had left. And I just lifted my hands to the Lord in heaven and thanked Christ for being my redeeming love. And although I was made to feel ashamed and embarrassed as I was told to put on clothing that said property of the Lynchburg City Jail, the Holy Spirit reminded me that there is only one who owns me. And upon that cross, he purchased me. Sin has no mastery over me. The government has not any mastery over me. Jesus Christ is Lord. I belong to him and to him alone. And so do you, Christian. And just let me say this. Even though in that moment when I was tempted to believe that God had forsaken me and that he wasn't there, he was And there will be times when it seems God is not there. But he is and he is always, always working for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. He has not forsaken you, saint. He has not left you. But there is one he did forsake on the cross. In his love for you and me, he poured out his fury. He poured out his wrath on his son so that we might gather here this morning to worship in spirit and in truth. That we might have life. God displayed his love towards sinners by forsaking his own son. Let's look at verse 36. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. These soldiers were very diligent in what their responsibility was when it came to crucifixion. And part of their job was to keep watch to make sure that no one would try to come and rescue those who were being crucified. Or at least try to ease the suffering by putting them to death in a quicker fashion. It had been known that people would feel so horribly sad for the crucified that they would actually try to go and kill the crucified person fast and quick so they would not have to suffer. And the guards were there to make sure that all these men felt was suffering long and hard. Verse 37, and over his head they put the charge against him which read, this is Jesus king of the Jews. Written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, virtually every person passing through could read this inscription as Greek was the most universal language in the emperor. Hebrew or Aramaic was the language of Palestine and Latin was the official language of Rome. And even though the religious elite of the day protested this, Pilate was settled that what was being written about Jesus was to be exactly what it was. A very true statement, though he didn't think so. Yet even in this, God is glorified for Jesus is the king of the Jews. 
But not just the Jew. He's the king of all things. He's the king of kings. He's the sovereign Lord. He's the Christ. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the redeemer. He is the door to eternal life, the resurrection and the life. He is God who pitched himself in a tent of flesh to dwell among vile humanity, to die for the sexual immoral, to die for the idolater, to die for the adulterer, to die for the homosexual, to die for the thief, to die for the greedy, to die for the drunk, whatever the sin was, he came and bore it. As the whole old hymn goes, Lamb of God so pure and spotless, Lamb of God for sinners slain, thy shed blood was wrought redemption, cleansing us from every stain. If you have repented of your sin, you are no longer covered in shame, my friend. Every sin that you have ever committed has been forgiven by the Lord because of the Lamb of God. You no longer have to walk about feeling condemned. You can walk about with thanksgiving in your heart, knowing that you are an accepted child of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the King of the Jews and the Gentiles. Matthew records in verse 38. Then two robbers were crucified with him. One on the right and one on the left. These robbers just didn't steal from people. They were actually cruel bandits who, as they plundered, took pleasure in tormenting and abusing their victims. Some historians say that Barabbas was in their gang and that center cross was supposedly meant for him. He was the leader. But now Jesus is in the center as that was God's perfect plan and perfect will. And both these men are crucified next to him. And most likely they had a Jewish background or familiar with Judaism They had some knowledge of the Jewish Messiah, which is another fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 53, 12 states, Therefore, I will divide them, divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. If you're here today and you're not a true disciple of Christ, If you've never turned and renounced your sin, please know that Jesus, though innocent, was charged with human sins and so bore the penalty. He willingly laid down his life and suffered for our iniquities. And then on the third day, as we'll see in a few weeks, he rose from the dead. And so I urge you, unbeliever in this room, if you're here, to turn and renounce your sin And trust in Jesus today. Point number two. Mockery of the Messiah. Mockery of the Messiah. We will read about three different groups of people who mocked Jesus as as he hung on the cross in this next portion of scripture. The passerbys, the religious elite of the day and the thieves on the cross. First, the passerbys. Let's look at verses 39 and 40. 
And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Jesus was given absolutely no relief from the mockery that he had endured. Even as he hung there before the world in shame, he had to face the taunts of those who would walk by. As they walked by the cross, they blasphemed the Christ, bringing up old slander about his comment regarding the destruction of the temple and challenging him to prove that he was the Son of God by coming down from the cross. And many of them were Jews, probably coming to celebrate the Passover, and yet they were passing over or passing by the Passover lamb himself. They may have even at one time followed Jesus around, amazed by his miracles and excited about what he was doing and what they thought his coming was to save them from the tyranny of Rome. And now they're highly disappointed in this, what they considered phony, charlatan. John MacArthur says, They had no desire for him to cleanse them of cherished sins or to give him control of their lives. They had expected him to be their kind of Messiah. A Messiah who would overthrow overthrow Rome and establish Israel as sovereign over the Gentile world. The fact that he had allowed himself to be arrested, mocked, beaten, scourged, and tried before the pagan Pilate while offering no verbal much less miraculous defense was proof enough in their minds that he was not the Messiah who they and most Israel wanted and expected. Yet Jesus was on a mission. And that mission was not to overthrow the earthly kingdom of Rome, but to reconcile sinful man to God. Legions of angels would have come to his rescue if he commanded them to. But he knew the will of the Father. He knew that he was born to die. He knew he had a drink of this cup of wrath. He knew that the Father's will was to crush him. And he rejected the temptuous taunts of the wicked as they passed by. But not only did the Messiah have to endure the mockery of those who just were passing through. He had to endure the mockery of the religious elite of the day. Verses 41 through 43. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. There was no love lost here by the religious teachers toward Jesus. They hated him. They hated his guts. They opposed him whenever they could. They sought his destruction. And now in their arrogance, as he's helpless on a cross, they mock him. They insinuate that Jesus doesn't even have the power that he claimed to have. They taunt him by saying he saved others, cannot save himself. Such viciousness. And yet there's truth in what they're saying, because Jesus did indeed save others. 
in the past. He healed people. He healed lepers. He healed the blind. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He could have come down from the cross to display his power. But if he did, then the fallen race of men could not be saved. And you and I could not be here today. We'd be lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. Wandering aimlessly from sin to sin, from debauchery to debauchery. Without hope and without God in the world. By sacrificing himself, Jesus was saving others. He was saving you and he was saving me. And they continue their ridiculing. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. No, they wouldn't have. Jesus endured this mockery for our sake. He loved us so much that he was not about to defend himself. He was willing to suffer for us. He was not about to abandon his mission. Let me read this quote from D.A. Carson. Very insightful. D.A. Carson says, In the mystery of providence, if Jesus did step down, there would be no blood of the covenant for forgiveness of sins, no ransom, no salvation from sin, no theological basis for healing, no gospel of the kingdom to be proclaimed to nations everywhere. No fulfillment of scripture. Jesus was perfect. And he obeyed perfectly. If he were to step down, he would have disobeyed. Meaning he would not have been God. And like I said, the religious establishment was so blinded that even if he did come down from the cross, they still would have hated him. And not believed in his messiahship just as they didn't believe in him after he rose from the dead. And you know what's interesting here? Not once in the narrative of Jesus' crucifixion, whether in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, do the religious elite address Jesus directly when he's hanging on the cross. Each time they talk about him to each other, they never talk to him. They talk just loud enough for him to hear them. That's very cowardly. Almost passive aggressive. And they mock saying that if he was the son of God, he would deliver them. That God would vindicate him. And what they fail to realize is biblical history attests. God did vindicate his son at the resurrection. Yet here Jesus is now facing the most severe test. The loss of the Father's presence, which we will look at next week. The third group of people to mock Jesus were the two thieves on the cross. Verse 44. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Jesus was being viciously mocked by just about everyone around him. And here, these thieves who are in agonizing pain themselves join in the mockery of the Messiah. Luke twenty three thirty nine says that one of them yelled, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
of course, the thief here is not wanting to be saved from his sin, but from the consequences of his actions. Now, the good news is that one of them has a change of heart and gets saved on the cross. He says, as recorded in Luke 23, verses 42 and 43, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Precious Christian, never give up hoping praying and preaching the gospel to those you love. You never know when they might get saved. It may be in their final hour. Don't stop praying. Don't stop preaching. Don't stop hoping for their salvation. The thief got saved in his final hour. It can happen. God can do it. Worship team, if you would please come up. I'll close with this. In the midst of all the torment that Jesus endured, the mockery, the abuse, the embarrassment, the humiliation, he remained silent. Toward his accusers. The apostle Peter wrote in his epistle. When he was reviled. He did not revile in return. When he suffered. He did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself. To him. Who judges justly. Rather than depending on his own abilities. To retaliate. He kept entrusting. The situation. To God the father knowing that God would be just and fair, for he is the one who judges justly. What an example for us. When we are mocked for our Christian faith, entrust the situation to the Father. Do not return evil for evil. That is not the way of the cross. That is not the way of Christ. Final thought. God the Father displayed his love for us at Calvary by offering up his beloved Son as a sacrifice for our sins. And God the Son displayed his love for us at Calvary by enduring the shame on our behalf and removing the shame that is due to us for our sin. What a God. What a Savior. What love that only he can give. It's our joy to honor you. It's our joy to exalt in you. To exalt you above.
everything in our lives, Lord, it is our joy to hear your word preached by the faithful ministers in this church. It is our joy to sing songs of praise to you. Lord, it is our joy to teach our children to love you and to honor you. Lord, it is our joy to care for the souls of our spouses and our family members, Lord. It is our joy to serve your church, whether setting up or in children's ministry or singing or playing or taking care of the landscaping or caring for the children's ministry. However, we're serving in this church, being an usher, being a greeter, Lord God, it is our joy to honor you and whatever way you have called us to serve you, Lord. In our jobs, in our parenting, the moms at home with their children, homeschooling and teaching. Lord, it is our joy to honor you in every area of our lives, Lord. And this is our spiritual worship to you. In all that we do, Lord, we honor you. You gave everything for us. And Lord, this morning we give everything to you. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. To love and serve the Lord.